Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Jonathan Kreitz. Um, some of you might know me, but some of you may not. Um, I can honestly say that I've been a member or a mission partner here at Neartown Church since the very beginning. Um, a while before we would even begin uh, meeting in any sort of formal way, I can remember Russell would come get me and Jesse Outlaw, and we would get in his car at night after work and everything else, and we would ride around this neighborhood praying and thinking about what it would mean to plant a church here. What, what would that look like, you know? And we thought, what would it mean to the people in this neighborhood? And so it's just been a very you know, amazing blessing to see that this is all, God's brought this all about. Um, it's funny, there's been a, a lot of early morning setups, a lot of sweaty summer fun squad days in the park. If, if you're there, can I get an amen? Amen, those sweaty days. Uh, it's an incredible blessing to see all that come together uh, every week in this worship space and in NT Kids. And speaking of NT Kids, uh, you may also have met my wife, Kristen. She is the director of our children's ministry, and most Sundays she checks all the kids in as they come in and organizes us the lessons and all that. We also have two sons, Lincoln and Henry, and a third boy on the way. And uh, you may have seen them you know, running around here before or after, but hopefully not during services. Um, it's been really great to have the boys here because it, it's, it, I feel like it's a big blessing for them to have this expectation of church, a place where the gospel is preached every Sunday and everyone is welcome to come and, and serve and give and not just come and take. So praise God for that. Uh, I don't think he's here today, but I'd also like to thank Russell. Um, for the opportunity to speak, but uh, also because Russell and I go way back. Um, Russell, if you didn't know, was an intern in the youth group that Kristen and I and several others grew up in. And when we were between 8th and ninth grade that summer, Russell and the other interns took a group of about 20 of us to Memphis, Tennessee for a mission trip. And it was a great time, and it really like awakened uh, you know, feelings for the Lord and me on that trip. But... On the way back, I happened to sit next to, in the car, on the van, on the long drive back, Kristen, of all people. And we started talking and found out we were going to go to the high school, same high school in a few months, and a wife and a dog and three sons later, you know, here we are. So Russell had a, had a small part to play in all that. Um, it is an honor for me to address the congregation this morning, and I hope you are inspired by, by what I have to say. So how did we get to this point? Well, we took a break last week from talking about Advent Conspiracy uh, to have Matt and Cameron lead us in worship. But before that, we had G and Matt teach us about worshiping fully. That's what G talked about. And Matt talked to us about giving, spending less and giving more. Uh, when it came to worshiping fully, G encouraged us to live lives of worship, to not just uh, keep it only to a brief time on Sunday morning or maybe in your NT group Bible study or your devotional, but to live a whole life of worship. Uh, he encouraged us to worship in spirit and in truth, and he showed how Jesus desires us to worship and in spirit and in truth. Um, Matt brought a great word about spending less and giving more two weeks ago, and I told him I would have a hard time following up on him because I thought it was, he, he delivered it and it was so funny. 
Uh, I listened to that one in the car with Kristen, and we were both laughing out loud. But that didn't take away from the point he was making about the reality of finances, that when it comes to being generous, there really only is so much to go around. And if we don't control our finances, we'll be controlled by our finances. So today, I'm going to talk about the final part of Advent Conspiracy. It has four parts. So worship fully, uh, spending less, and giving more. And today is about love all. Love all is the natural conclusion of the previous parts of Advent Conspiracy. Having, having understood true worship, spending less, and giving more, love all gives us a purpose for this season. Um, I want us to think about love all in two ways today. First, does the scripture indeed command us to love all? I mean, is that what the Bible teaches? We know that it says God loves us. We all, we all know John three sixteen. God does love us. But what does it say about our own love and affections? What does it say about your love and affections? We're going to look at a lot of scripture today, but I wanted to do this so we are clear about what the Bible says about loving all. When it comes to love all, maybe some of you are thinking about the verse known as the Great Commandment. That's the first thing that really popped into my mind. Um, I'm going to start there, and I'm going to read it out of Matthew 22, 34 through 40. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Um, If not, I'm going to read it to you, so you can just listen if you prefer. Jesus here, he's addressing a question from the Pharisees after doing the very same with the Sadducees. They were the religious leaders at the time. Here it goes. He says, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second one is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the laws and the prophets. So the leaders, who should have known better, were trying to catch Jesus in a mistake. They're trying to trick him. And Jesus, in his perfect fashion, takes all of the law, all of the commandments, all of the traditions and ceremonies of man that the Pharisees and Sadducees valued, and he condensed them down into two beautiful phrases, to love God and love others. So let me say that again. He took all of that, I mean all of the law, all of the commandments, all the tradition and ceremonies of man that we even value. And he brought that all down in this and said they were fulfilled in this, that we should love God and love others. So, let me ask a question now. Who likes Christmas movies? Yeah, okay, good. Uh, can, can I get a few responses as to who are, what are your favorite movies, I guess I'd say? Elf. Elf, yeah, Elf's good, yeah. <clears throat> let me, okay, let's see. How about we play a game? I'm going to say a quote from a classic Christmas movie, and y'all see if you can guess what it is. They're pretty easy, but I'll try. Okay. This is the first one. It goes like this. Bye, buddy. Hope you find your dad. Elf. Okay. These are too easy. That's what Kristen said yesterday, but it's okay. How about this one? I want an official Red Ryder carbine action 200-shot range rifle. No, you'll shoot your eye out. A Christmas story. That's right. This is the last line of this movie because I couldn't find another one I thought would be recognizable, but here it is. And may all your Christmases be white. Merry Christmas. White Christmas, yeah. Kind of gives it away. This one's a little longer, but bear with me. Um, We'll see who the real Christmas movie fans are here. Here it goes. Since this is Aunt Bethany's 80th Christmas, I think she should lead us in the saying of grace. 
What, dear? Grace. Grace? She passed away 30 years ago. They want you to say grace, the blessing. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God with liberty and justice for all. Amen. Anyone? The Christmas vacation, that's it, yeah. There were some other quotes I wanted to use from that movie, but were inappropriate for Sunday morning. Uh, this is Uncle Eddie. Well, yeah, so. Um, okay, I love Christmas movies, and so does Lincoln, our four-year-old son. And one that we have right now in heavy, heavy rotation is How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Who loves that movie? I love the How the Grinch Stole Christmas. If you also know Lincoln, you know that he asks a million questions questions. He asks, and that's his age, and he's a smart little boy, and that's how he learns, but man, he asks a lot of questions. So if you can picture it in your mind, we're sitting there on the couch watching this movie, which I can practically quote and sing all the songs to, because I've seen it so many times, and he asked me something I'd never really considered. He said, why does the Grinch hate Christmas and the Who's? Why? Uh, My first answer was like, well, he's a Grinch. I don't know. He's a Grinchy Grinch. That's why. Uh, But Lincoln just can't get past the why of this movie because he's been taught from a young age that our lives are meant for loving God and loving others. So, you know, seeing the Grinch, you know, for 53 years he's listened to the Who's and hates them. He just can't, he can't think of it that way. Um, Okay, so another place we can look in the scripture to see about God teaching us to love all is when Paul reiterates this theme in his letter to the church in Rome. In Romans 13, 8 through 10, I'll read this one for us. You don't have to turn there. He says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, or any other of those commandments are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So Paul, kind of very similarly to Jesus, and he even got a little more specific, saying, you know, those were some of the Ten Commandments he just read off. All of those things can be summed up in loving your neighbor. I mean, how does this work? He says that if we love, we won't break these commandments. We won't covet our neighbor's wives or their things. We won't steal. We won't murder. Um, And I have one more example, and it's what she read for us earlier. It recalls um, the wording in John's Gospel in this letter to this church. It's from 1 John three sixteen through 18. By this, we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We could talk about Christ's love here, you know, sacrificial love. Um, But for the sake of Advent conspiracy, I particularly like the way John brings in the concept of having the goods of the world, but forsaking the needs of the brother. How can God's love be in you if you are shut off like this? Um, That's kind of the second way I want us to look at at this today. The second question I want us to answer about loving all is this. I want you to think of what could be holding you back from loving all. What in your life is holding you back from loving all? What is, uh, I guess as it says in Hebrews, the sin that is so easily weighing you down? You know, we've shown that God's word calls us to love all, and this commandment is consistent through the whole Bible. We could spend the rest of the day, you know, looking up verses and references and just going on and on about that. But I want to 
us to get to like what the root of why we might be failing at this or what we can do to do better at this is. Could it be what Matt talked about two weeks ago in your resources? Could it be your finances? Or maybe it's in your time commitments. I mean, time is a resource as well. Um, It's something other than God's great commandment taking priority in your life. I think that's a really, you know, that's really the root of this. It's something other than God's great commandment taking priority in your life. And personally, this is a big struggle for me and has been as long as I can remember. I mean, I work for an oil and gas producer downtown, and I work a lot, and I spend every day, you know, making sure all of our wells are producing what they should in meetings, making sure that we're getting our reporting done, making sure there's no problems in the system, and on and on and on. Uh, and I'm thankful for God's providence in providing me for that job. But since I work a lot, it means that whatever time is left outside of work becomes like that much more valuable. So I have to be diligent to manage that remaining time while between my family, my personal interests, my time with friends, and my time with God. And for a lot of you here, especially in this part of town, it's similar for you. You know, you work a lot. We have a lot of people work downtown or or, uh, professional, you know, people. So... They're high achievers, um, and you're probably involved in a lot of other interests and opportunities for you, so maybe you're just out of time. I mean, that's definitely something we could all probably do better at is, is managing our time. Or maybe like Matt discussed two weeks ago, it really is you've leveraged your finances in a way that prevents you from being able to help or give. And you see, this is all, it all works together. G taught us about how our lives being a life of worship, that includes your finances. It, it covers all of that. How you spend your money reflects your heart and your values. Another way that you could be prevented from loving all is maybe you're ignorant. Maybe you just don't know. Uh, this isn't meant to insult you, but maybe some of you need to be told to wake up and look around. We're very busy people. We are. But we can also be so focused on ourselves, so narcissistic, that we miss the needs of people around us because we have blinders on. We can only see what's right in front of us or only think about our own things. The people you work with, they need God. Just thinking of my own coworkers, I I can think of people with no idea about the truth of God, people who are struggling in their marriage, children having a hard time with school, our fear about the future. I don't know if you work in the oil and gas industry, but the way prices have gone recently, there's a lot of fear about how things are going to go in the near term. So you have to just open your eyes and see. And the same thing when it comes to where we live. Our neighbors need God just as much as anyone else, but you have to be present to know that. If you're, if you're never home, if you're too busy, if you are shut off from your neighbors, how could you ever know what they need? How could they ever hear what you have to say? The scripture says over and over and again that God saved us to accomplish his good works on the earth for his glory. He saved you and all of us to accomplish his good work on the earth for his own glory. And it's not our glory, but it's his. Okay. Um, One more way here is that you might be kept from loving God and loving others the way you should because you're apathetic. You know what you should do and you don't care enough. Or maybe you know what needs to be done, but you count on other people to do it. Um, It says in 2 Timothy that we were not given a spirit of fear but of power and love and self-control. And that doesn't sound to me like the equipment, you know, a spirit of power, love, and self-control to sit on the sideline and just watch things happen. You know, that sounds to me like the means to advance God's kingdom here and now. 
I would say most of us here would say that we're Christians. Um, and if that's the case, then why are we letting all of these things I just talked about, why are we letting this hold, be held back from loving God and loving others like we should? So, this part, I'm going to say, is maybe not necessarily for the people who are, who are believers in God. Maybe, you're, maybe some of you are struggling to love others because the love of God isn't in you yourself. We can talk about ignorance and finances all we want, but maybe the root of the problem is not what you're doing wrong or not doing well enough, but maybe what is wrong is actually in you. And what I mean by that is without God's love in your heart, you have a heart of stone. That's from Ezekiel. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from you and give you a heart of flesh. So what this means is that without God's love, we are dead in our trespasses and sin, like it says in Ephesians. Dead, and we're following after the path of a dead world, uh, just like the rest of mankind. Without God's love and spirit in us, we are dead and ineffective. We're not crippled, I mean, not, uh, not struggling, but absent of life and absent of love. So um, this next passage, you'll have to bear with me, is very similar to the phrasing in Ephesians. But I did promise myself if I ever got the opportunity to preach to a group like y'all that I would work this in somehow, some way, no matter what. It's probably my favorite set of verses in the entire Bible, but fortunately it actually, it actually works with what we're talking about here. It's, uh, it's from Titus 3, and, it, and I'm going to read it to you. Um, and I'm going to read the majority of it. We're going to go slow because I really want us to listen and hear what it's saying here. And listen for anything you might hear that's been repeated, okay? There's going to be a few phrases that are repeated. Here we go. So Titus 3, verse 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers, them being the Christians, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Okay, stop right there. Why, um, why, should, we, why, would, why, should, why would Paul be calling us to these things, to be peaceable, to malign no one, to be considerate to all men. I mean, that's a very high standard that he's calling us to. Well, he goes right on here and says, because we also were once foolish ourselves. We were disobedient. We were deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. He saved us, and not on the basis of deeds which we had done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently, so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. See there at the end? He brings it all back to engage in what? Good deeds. Can you see the turn there? We're doing good works, not out of, we're doing good works out of recognition of what God saved us from, of what he did for us. And it's for the benefit of all those people that we were just as lost as before God came to us. Without God's love and regeneration in our own hearts of stone, we are just as he described them there. We're hateful, hating one another, full of malice. We're incapable of doing the things that Christ has called us to in love. As Christians, we are empowered by God to do, to act. And we should do in a way that recognizes what God's love has meant for us. 
So have you ever stopped and thought about where you might be if it weren't for God's love in your life? I mean, it's like a mental exercise, but just for a moment, sit there and think, where would I be like right now, the course of my life, if I had not become a Christian? We would all be dead spiritually. Um, I mean, some people in here might even be dead physically. Maybe, maybe you've been saved from some addiction or some lifestyle that was terrible for you. When I try and think of what I would be like without God's love, I think of all the worst things in me. I could see myself spending my time on things that don't really matter but interest me. You know, movies, video games, trivial things that aren't bad in themselves but don't serve the real purpose of my life. I could see myself being unfaithful to my wife. Maybe I wouldn't try to raise my kids in a house full of grace, but in one where the letter of the law ruled. I don't know. I don't think it's too dramatic to say that it is awesome in the true sense of the word to think of what God has saved us from. He saved us from ourselves. He saved us from our hearts of stone, and how? How did this happen? Who brought God's gospel to you, or me, or anyone else who's ever heard? It's been other Christians being obedient to God in faith and in love, bringing you the good news. So if this is you, if you're being held back by your own distractions or ignorance or apathy, then please repent of that today. And if maybe you're here today and you're hearing some of this for the first time, then repent of your sin and recognize that it separates you from God. Believe that God sent Jesus to live the life that we have all failed at. This is what the Advent and Christmas season really is all about. God is with us. Emmanuel has come. So believe that he was also sent to die according to the scriptures and after three days he was raised from the dead by the power of God, conquering death and freeing us from the bondage of sin to live the life he's called us for. Paul says it like this in Romans 10, that those who confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead will be saved. That belief and faith, it justifies you to God and sets you free. What, am I tr- what I'm trying to show you, and please remember this as you go out from here today, is that showing the love of God to all is a matter of the heart. All of these things are a matter of the heart. But especially this one, when it comes to actually loving others, it's an internal struggle we're talking about here. So if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you three ways we can direct our hearts to love all. Okay, number one. We should know if our hearts belong to and are filled with God. So maybe you need to repent of just apathy or ignorance, or maybe you need to repent of your sin and and accept God now. For those of us that would say we believe our gods, that we want to follow after Christ, that we should search our hearts for ignorance or apathy, and that we need for God's love is real all around us. How can you meet that need and show love? So that's number two. How can you meet the need and show love? And three, when you find that need, then act. One of our core values here at Neartown that we worked so long on you know, thinking through when we were all getting started is radical generosity. Um, We put our money and our time and our blood and our sweat and our tears where our mouth is. We do this in recognition of what God has done for us, and we do it with joy. We try and think about it in terms of restoring locally and restoring globally. So locally, we support other church planners that are trying to share the gospel. Locally, we support those in our congregation or in our neighborhoods that need our help. And we are here right now for you. Um... So if you need a need, if you know a need, please bring it to us and we'll see what we can do to help. And Russell's not here, but I had a little note here to apologize to him for, I'm not on staff, just like Matt said a few weeks ago, but I'm more than willing to solicit new work for Russell to do. So if you need help, please come talk to Russell and Andrew. Um, Globally, we have invested in our people heavily in this congregation into Compassion International. If you're not familiar with that, we're 
basically with small donations a month, freeing children in the worst kind of poverty all around the world in Jesus' name. Um, We also support missionaries that are taking God's gospel of peace to the ends of the earth. So there are opportunities to love all just in our own congregation right now. You just have to be aware and, and actually do it. And my last thought, I promise, is that I've grown up in the church. You know, it's a blessing from God, but I... I've grown up in the church, and church people have a certain culture just like any other group of people. And the longer you are in church, the more you will pick up on the cliche church phrases that are out there. There's a lot of them. Um, The one that I grew up hearing a lot, but I actually still like, even though you hear it a lot, is that we are not saved by good works. We are saved to do good works. Okay? The works, it's not deeds done in righteousness. We're not saved by that. But God saved us to do his work on the earth. 